Welcome to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you are equipped by this message from Pastor Artyr Pavlovsky. For more information about our church, please visit foundationchurchfl.com. Amen. Pastor Artyr Pulaski, come on up. God bless you. Praise God. You know, every time I watch that video, it just cracks me up. <laughs> if only I knew, I will make it perhaps a little bit better. I'm telling you, God has a sense of humor. When they showed up during Passover, it was a spontaneous thing, of course, for me, not for them. They have been attacking us for years. But when I watched it afterwards, I started to laugh because listen to my English. <laughs> and I've told them, don't you know English? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Let's just bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory. Yes. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity because that's what you have given to us, an opportunity to be the light in the darkness, to be the words of truth, to be the salt, the spice that you want to use for such a time as this. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Touch our hearts, our minds. Touch our souls, Father. Touch our bodies. If there's any sickness in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray, Father, that you would touch it and remove it. I speak words of life and blessing, prosperity, and the will of our Father, which is in heaven, on all of us. Thank you, Father, for this church. Thank you for this pastor, for his family. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Well, um, if I'm a little bit cranky, forgive me. I uh, was at a conference yesterday and I came back like two in the morning. It was a good time. Every time I travel around this beautiful nation, I'm touched by the amount of lions I see wherever I go. It's incredible. In comparison, I know it's bad here. I, I get it. It's bad. But it's not as bad as it's in Canada. It's not as bad as, in, uh, as it's in France or England or other parts of the world. So you still have that spirit of patriotism in your DNA. The land of the free, the land of the brave is still here. And God is waiting. God is waiting for the, for the free. A pastor knows that. In the Bible it says, who comes to me, who comes to Jesus Christ of Nazareth is free indeed. God is waiting for the free to rise up and be brave. This is what he said to Joshua. 
before he entered the promised land. Because you see, this is the problem that I see in Christendom, Christianity as a whole. That we have received promises from God. I believe every one of you, if you stick around for a longer time, you will get a promise from God. Your personal promise and the corporate promise about certain things. But in order to receive that promise, you have to do something about it. You see, yes, Jesus died for us on the cross. The salvation is free, but it is free, really. It costs the Father his own son. It cost the son his own life, his own blood. And we as Christians, we think it's not going to cost us anything. We think that we are getting the free stuff, gimme, 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 from God. And it's a cruise instead of fishing boat. You see, this is what I learned about fishermen. It's extremely difficult and dangerous job. Dangerous. Every single year, people are dying on those little boats. I remember one time I had a vision. God showed me a big, powerful, beautiful American cruise. And I saw people dancing inside and drinking and having an amazing time. And they were Christians. And from time to time, they would go out and they would just peek around. And the dolphins and the sharks and all the different creatures inside the sea they would enjoy themselves and they were very merry and then I saw a fishing boat and that fishing boat was equipped with everything and God spoke to me I have given my church everything my church needs for the job and I saw little satellites and I saw all the newest equipment that God has given it to us all the electronics all the internet everything your heart desire is in that little boat and then he says go so that little fishing boat with few people went into the deep ocean. And then they saw the cruiser. And from time to time, the people in the cruiser would come out and would look outside and would say, are you crazy? On that little boat, come, here is the party. Here is the good time. Come and join us. Don't you know there are sharks all around you? You might die. You see, that's the problem with Christianity of today. That's why those pastors shut down the churches. Because they don't want to lose their business. They don't want to lose their license. They don't want to pay the price. And Jesus, my Jesus, you know, maybe we believe in a different Jesus. But my Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. Daily and follow me. That's the difference between the real believer and the fake. I call them the hired guns. Hired gun is a person that for him is just a job. This is what I do. It's a job. You see, Christianity, being a pastor, being God's shepherd is not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's everything or nothing. Life or death. Heaven or hell. Nothing in between. When God showed me that vision about the cruise and the little boat, my heart was broken and his heart was broken. Because you see, we have replaced... The Great Commission, we call it the Great Commission for entertainment. And the pastors have become jugglers, clowns, entertaining people instead of saving souls. Where was the last time 
You saw a pastor feeding the poor. When was the last time you saw a pastor going out into the neighborhood, preaching the gospel, fighting for souls? You see, our people don't even know how to reach communities. Our people don't know how to preach the gospel. They don't know how to interact with the homeless, with the prostitutes, with the drug addicts, with the alcoholics. I remember when I started to do what God called me to do, I went out and I preached and there were people lining up to receive Jesus. And I said to the partners, I partnered with the mega church at that time in Canada. I said, lead them to the Lord. And they look at me like I'm alien. <laughs> like, what are you waiting for? People are on their knees. They're crying. Lead them to the Lord. And they said, we don't know how. We don't know how. So I had to come down from the pickup truck and lead every one of them by myself individually until I taught them how to lead a human being to the Lord. We've lost the salt. We've lost the light. And now we are surprised that the society, the government calls us unessential services. We are unessential. We are not needed by them because we are useless as a whole, except the remnant. So what I see right now is God raising up the remnant. He's raising up his real church. He's separating the real from the fake. He's separating the sheep from the goats and the sheep from the wolves. And that leads me to another vision that he showed me about three years ago. And he, this is what he said to me. I am about to separate the sheep from the goats and the sh sheep from the wolves. And when I'm done, you will be able to see who is who. Yeah. You, I mean, is that not clear today who is who? Yeah. I mean, you see the slaves muzzled like some kind of monkeys in a circus. And then you've got the free. I remember coming out from the church in Calgary and I was shocked because I saw this happy dog going around on and he had on a leash the dog had on the leash the owner and the <laughs> dog was extremely happy and he kind of like you know wiggled his tail and he looked at me very happy but he his eyes were saying this to me I don't get it I don't understand what's going on because here's the thing, the dog was free, the dog took his owner for a walk, the owner was on a leash and was muzzled, and the dog was free. Is everything not upside down today? You see, try to put a muzzle on a cat or a dog and you will see what happens. Try to put a muzzle on a man and he thanks you for it. Why is that? Well, I asked God what is going on. And he said, I have given them into a great delusion. This is what we are witnessing right now. So that's why when I say white, they see black. When I say red, they see green. I mean, we are trying to communicate. But what I'm saying, what you're saying, what people like us are saying, they're hearing totally different things because they have been given because of their sin and willingness to repent into a heavy delusion, the Bible calls it. At the beginning of this craziness, I had a vision and I saw this enormous, huge fence. I could not see the end of it. 
And on that fence, I saw people enjoying their life. They were being entertained. They were just watching a life. And I knew that this fence represents the world. And the people were sitting, enjoying their lives. And then I saw two powerful hands, and I knew those hands are God's hands. He grabbed the fence, and violently, he started to shake the fence. And then I saw people falling to the left and to the right. When he was done shaking, there was no one sitting on a fence. You see, we have entered a time in our history that you will not be able to just cruise around. You will not be able just to sit on a fence and enjoy your life. You have to make a choice. And the voice spoke to me. He says, when I'm done, everyone will have to make a choice. Either me or the devil. You see, it's not about the vaccines. Well, first of all, the virus has never been isolated. There is no such a thing as COVID-19 vaccination because the COVID-19 has not been isolated. It's not even immunization. I don't know really what they're putting in. I've talked to some biologists and smarter people than me. They've told me, but it's, the list is huge of what they are actually putting in. It's a scary stuff, but it's not good. It's not good for you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why, why would you, in a right mind, why would you put something inside your system, inside your body, risking your life while the manufacturers are telling you it's not safe? And, and we're not responsible. If you die, if something happens to you, we're not responsible. Why would you put that into your body if they say, I'm not doing it? Are you nuts? So why wear a muzzle? Well, it's a very simple answer. Because there is a repetition of history happening right now. What happened before, it's happening today. They're enslaving, eliminating the middle class, destroying small and medium-sized businesses for a purpose. To enslave the people, to subdue a nation. In order to subdue a nation, and you got to remember, you're talking to a Polish immigrant. I grew up behind the Iron Curtain. We were enslaved. So when I see a bully, when I see this type of demons, because that's what they are, I, I acknowledge them right away. I can smell them from a mile away. What they're doing is, is elimination, elimination of opposition. In order to subdue the nation, they have to eliminate opposition. Who is the greatest opposition to the schemes of the enemy? It's the church. So they are shutting down churches because when you come to the church, there is an exchange of information. You talk to each other. Oh, have you seen this news? Oh, have you seen that? Oh, look at the document. Like, wow, wow, pastor, have you seen this? This is what I came across. They don't want that. Historically speaking, Community halls, bars, restaurants, churches were always a place. There was always a place for a revolution. Always a place for exchange of information. When we come together, we feel stronger. When we come together, we feel unified. We feel we're not alone. There is not just poor little me, but there is more of us. Empowers you. And biblically speaking, the Bible says one can do a thousand, but two can do 10,000. You see, we're talking about God's mathematics, not men's mathematics. In a human mind, one plus one is two, but that's not God's mathematics. He multiplies unity. In other words, he blesses 
unity. When we come together, he is so excited about it because he wants us to be a family. Family cannot be divided. Family has to come together. Family has to be on the same page or you have chaos and God is not a God of chaos. That's the devil. That's why they're bringing division, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, all those crazy terrorist organizations. Now the Asians are added to the mixture. They want to divide the people. You see, in the kingdom of God, there are no blacks, whites, reds, and yellows. In the kingdom of God are the people that are bought with the blood of Jesus. Full stop. Full stop. If you're bought, if you're bought with the blood of Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister. Full stop. We are a family. You see, Jesus did not die for the color of your skin. He died for your soul. And he was raised from the grave for your soul. So you have to cut all this racism, division away completely and oppose it to the, you know, in full, full force. Why the muzzle? Why do they force us to wear a muzzle? You see, here is the thing. Historically speaking, every time they were enslaving people, they had to mark the people. And it's always a visual marking. So, for example, in 30s, they would tell the Jewish people to put the Star of David. I'm sure you're familiar with that. In other cultures, they would paint their legs white, for example. In German culture, when you were a slave, you were required to wear a long hair as a slave, a male slave. In other cultures, they would put a mask on your face. And here is what that represents. It's telling you, you have no identity. I'm taking your ident identity away. You're nobody. You're nothing. You're just a social, social insurance number. That's the first thing. Another thing is, when they do that, they tell you, they're telling you, and everybody around you, you have no say. We are taking away your voice, your muzzle. That's it. You know, I have a hard time. I'm sure you will have the, the same thing. I have an extremely hard time to understand as an immigrant what those people are mumbling. It's like, you know, like, excuse me, what are you saying? You see, but that's exactly what they want. They want to frustrate us. They want to tell us you have no name. We don't care about your face. We don't care about your identity. You're a nobody. You're just a number for us. Remember Auschwitz-Birkenau? I go there every year. And sometimes I take Americans or Canadians there because I believe that we should remind ourselves what people are capable of when you don't put a check on their powers. Because that's the end of the story for everyone that will oppose totalitarian government if we will not rise up today. And let me remind you something that everything Adolf Hitler did, everything Joseph Stalin did and others like them was lawful, according to them. Everything was done legally, according to them. When Adolf Hitler became the chancellor in 1933, he was democratically elected. And then he started to implement those little laws, first of all, by taking the rights away from the German people, disarming them. If you ever allow them to take your guns away, you're done. You're done. And I'm not advocating for violence. I'm just telling you, you need to put a check 
to their powers. And when they know that you are armed, they will think twice because they don't know what you're capable of. They're not, they don't know what you're going to do. And that's a good thing. They should fear the people. Yeah. We should not fear our own government. The government should fear the people. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Keep your guns or else. Adolf Hitler took the guns away from the German people. And I, let me remind something to you from history. The first victims of Nazi party were not the Poles, were not the Jews, were the German people. Right. Hundreds of thousands of them, not just five people, not the thousand people, hundreds of thousands of German people were slaughtered like pigs taken to Buchenwald and Dachau and other concentration camps before Adolf Hitler attacked Europe. 250,000 disabled people were slaughtered under the watchful eyes of Adolf Hitler to clean the German race. What we are witnessing right now is a repetition of history. So you saw my arrest, I'll give you a little bit of a background. I have been attacked by the government since 2005 First time they showed up and they declared that feeding the homeless, it's now illegal. Preaching the gospel, it's illegal. Of course, I disagreed. Why? Because I, first of all, know history, but I also know the law. I studied law, and in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, first of all, it starts in a preamble. It says, whereas Canada acknowledges the supremacy of God and the rule of law. That's, that's the, our constitution. And we have certain fundamentally guaranteed rights, just like you have your constitution. But you have to remember, people come to me and say, well, this is not going to happen in America. This will never happen here. I said, listen, you're not paying attention. They don't care about your piece of paper. To them, this is just a piece of paper, your declaration of independence, your bill, you know, your, uh, your amendments and your constitution to them is just a piece of paper. You have to care about your rights. You have to stand up for your rights. You have to value your constitution and your declaration of independence. Because if you don't, they will just keep taking and taking and taking, taking away. Here is, uh, let, let me read this before I forget. Here is what U.S. Congress said. I think you will find this fascinating. I did. The great vital and conservative element in our system is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and divine truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. U.S. Congress Resolution of 1854. Look how far we have fallen. Look how far we have fallen. Incredible. Incredible. 2005, they showed up. They declared that everything pretty much we do as a church, as a Christians, and what I do as a pastor is illegal. Giving free goods and services. You see, you can be arrested in Canada for giving free goods. That means if I give you a sandwich because you're starving to death on the streets of our cities, I just committed a crime. If I pray for you as a pastor, I just broke the law because I have given you my services for free without the approval of the government. Printed material, a distribution of printed material is also illegal. 
So if I give you a Bible in public, that's punishable to the fullest of the law. If I give you a gospel track, it's a printed material, that's punishable as well. As well. I was arrested a dozen times. You see, this arrest became viral because of the first, the Nazi video. Right? So what happened, I don't really know. Because if I was to choose a video, that would be the last one. I have done some pretty amazing things in my life, so I would choose something a lot better in my opinion. Not me yelling at people, Nazi, you know, I kind of, you can, you can see it. You can sense I run out of insults. <laughs> I, you know, and of course as a pastor I did not swear, so I was thinking about, you know, I could add KJB to the, the whole thing. <laughs> But under the pressure of the moment, I kind of like, uh, psychopaths. <laughs> so, if, if I was to choose a video, that would be the last one. <laughs> you know, I don't get it. But in my Bible also, it says that God, you know, you know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And... He walks through mysterious ways and he decided to use that one. And I'm telling you, something else when you live through it. So, well, let me take you through a little bit of history. 2006, I was arrested in a public park for publicly reading Bible because that's illegal as well. So I was told by the police that reading the Bible is punishable. I will be arrested if I will continue to read the Bible. No amplification system, just six of our parishioners. We were in the park and we decided, okay, I'll just read from the Psalms. That's all. No one was around, it was just us. And then police showed up. Police officer came to me and says that I have to go from this park because some people are offended. And I said, there's no one here who is offended. I mean, those guys are listening to me. They're not offended. Well, you have to go. I said, sir, we have our rights and I have a right to do what I do. And he says, I am the law. And I said, no, you're not the law. And he arrested me. <laughs> You see, that's the problem I have with those Nazis. Because they don't follow their own law. So if you put that uniform, and you have that badge and a gun that has been given to you from us, the people, to serve and protect, you swear to uphold the law. But right now in Canada, we, yeah, you know, we do that from time to time. My wife was sneezing. We, uh, you know, you guys are killing us. You know that, right? You're a conditioning. It's horrible. I think it's demon-possessed. Because you go outside, it's extremely hot. And remember, we are from Siberia. I call Calgary my little Siberia. So we are used to the cold, but not the fate cold that you have in air conditioning. So we come outside, it's extremely hot. Then we go into a freezer. And it knocks us to the ground. So I was so sick uh, after about two weeks of being here. And now my wife is here for a week. So the kids and my wife, is, it's sneezing. But you know, that's a good thing. I'll tell you why. Because at this craziness started, I did a test. And I did this, you know. So our church was full with people. And you never know if you got spies or not. So pastor, I'll educate you right now. If you want to know who is who, if you have spies or not, you got to do this. Hachoo! 
you don't have any spice here. Because spice would run because they would be afraid of COVID. So all the people here are good people. So my wife was testing you. Yeah, everyone is cool here. It's okay. You know, I was arrested. I faced a year jail time. The police officer handcuffed me and made me walk backwards. Later on, I learned that they do that to extremely violent and dangerous terrorists. They force, I mean, thank you so much. You know, if the devil thinks I am extremely dangerous to his kingdom, uh, he is flattering me. I was taken to prison, and here's an interesting story. I don't share that story very often, but when this police officer, he roughed me up and he put me in his cruiser. We're driving, and God gave me a revelation. And sometimes he does, he messes with me. And I see things, and I don't ask for them. It's just, just things happen, and I have this vision. And I saw him as a five-year-old kid being, there were things done to this officer. So I shared that with him. He was so physically disturbed, he says, how do you know that stuff? I said, well, God told me, and he told me he loves you. And he comes out, he stops in the middle of the town, and he leaves me in a car, handcuffed. And I'm thinking, oh, now I did it. <laughs> I mean, can't I shut my mouth for five minutes? Because every time I open my mouth, I'm in trouble. And how I'm going to get out of this pickle? I'm handcuffed, locked in a police cruiser in the middle of downtown, and the cop left me there. <laughs> Thank God he came back, but he was physically, physically disturbed. And uh, we, uh, you know, he drove me to the police station. He took the handcuffs off and he looked at them. They were all twisted. I mean, totally twisted and destroyed. And he looks at them and he looks at me. I mean, I'm, I'm not as big as you, you know? So he looks and he's like, what did you do with my handcuffs? And I said, that was the power of love. And he was like, he left. So weird things God does from time to time, uh, they locked me in prison, in jail with a bunch of crazy people, don't go there if you don't have to, unless you're going there to preach, with some native guys, huge monsters, and I started to preach, I mean, what do you do in prison, right? I mean, you start preaching, and I started to preach, and one guy was sleeping over there, and he was awakened, I was like, <gasps> what happens, am I in a park? I'll tell you why, because I'm a street preacher, so I preach in the parks. And this guy listened to me in the park, so he thought he was miraculously transformed. <laughs> taken to a park because he hears the familiar voice of a preacher that preaches in a park. And he's like, what are you doing here? I said, God sent me here to preach. <laughs> so I preach, I led few people to the Lord, and there was this huge native man. And he didn't like me. You know, some people don't. And he comes to me and he says, I'm going to kill you. I said, well, you're not the first one, not the last one. Take, you know, there is a big lineup over there of people that want to hurt me. And he's, uh, you know, he started to manifest the demons. And he takes this huge monster paw, was not a hand. And he just like, and I'm like, okay, I'm dead. Boom! He punches next to my ear. And I said, this is a serious problem. I have a serious problem. This guy is a monster. I don't want to fight in prison. I'm here to preach the gospel. So I said, God, you're going to help me out or I'll have to fight him. And I said, okay, what can I do? 
And a revelation came to me. I mean, listen to the revelation. Because from time to time, God will rescue you by giving you a revelation. I said, you know what? I'm going to pray that God would give him a heavy sleep. So I said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, go to sleep. And he's like, and went to sleep. Like in front of me, in front of other people, and he lay down at my feet. Just like this. And I said, that's cool. <laughs> I never knew I have that kind of a power. So I said, guys, you want to go to sleep? <laughs> and they said, that would be good. Okay, in the name of Jesus, go to sleep. Boom, 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 boom. And I was alone in a cell after that. Everyone went to sleep. I had my quiet time. And then suddenly, someone yells from the next cell. And the guy says, hey, preacher, are you still there? And I say, yes. I'm still here. God did not open the doors yet. And he says, then preach it. So I started to preach again. Anyway, the story is, is this. I was taken from one cell to another. I preached the gospel to so many people. I led people to the Lord. I rescued one guy that wanted to commit suicide. And then later on, I was vindicated. And it was all over the news. And that put me on a stage to be able to preach to literally at that time to millions of people all around the world. I was the first Canadian... You see, that's the, that's the thing. Every single time the enemy is doing something, what the enemy meant for evil, God turns around for good. And as bad as it is today, as bad and comfortable that you may feel because of the restrictions and attacks and this and that, I'm telling you, this is the greatest opportunity that the church has had during our lifetime. It's going to be incredible. This is our time to shine. This is our time to be the salt. This is our time to lead the way. Because what we are seeing right now, we see leaderless churches, leaderless societies. We have no leaders that can lead us anywhere. People are desperate for anyone that can lead them to the promised land. And I've told you about Joshua. Joshua was told before he entered the promised land, I've told you to be courageous. Haven't I told you to be courageous? Be very brave. Be very courageous. You see, God wants to give us the blessings and the promises. But he wants us to go and enter the promised land. You see, he says, wherever you put your feet, this is the land I'm going to give it to you. So you got to move out of your pew. Because I have a surprise for you. If you're sitting in your pew, the Bible says that there will be new heaven and new earth. And everything else is going to end up in a in a lake of fire. I'm telling you, if you're attached to your pew, you're going to end up in a lake of fire with your pew. Some people are fighting for their pews. I've seen people fighting. Oh, don't you know I'm sitting here for 30 years? That's my pew. I have been attending this church forever and, and you took my place. Seriously? Wow. You know what I'm going to do in a church when God blesses me with finances? I'm going to put spikes in your pews. <laughs> And from time to time, electronically, I'm going to, okay, if you're too comfortable, if you're like, oh, I'll just press the button. <laughs> you see, pews should never be comfortable. You should be sitting on the edge of your chair, ready to jump and do what God is commanding you to do. The Bible says, it doesn't say, be comfortable sitting in your pew. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's what it says. Go it doesn't say sit in. Fast forward. I have been 
subjected to dozens of arrests since my first one in 2006 for all kinds of reasons, preaching the gospel, refusing to shut down the barbecues, uh, placing material on the ground, which is the cross and the barbecues and tables. We feed thousands of people four times a week on the streets of Calgary for, for many, many years. I was arrested for giving free goods and services for distribution of Bibles. My Bibles were, were taken, stolen by authorities, by the police, pamphlets, you name it. I was subjected to everything. Handcuffed, threatened, both of my arms were almost broken. I was threatened with rape, with being stripped naked. You name it, all of that from authorities, all of that from the so-called police officers. 10 years later, after 300 citations, over 100 court cases, some as long as three weeks, Three weeks I was sitting there telling the judge, I'm guilty, your honor, I did feed those people. I'm guilty, I did preach the gospel. I did church, I organized this gathering, and I was vindicated. In 2015, we finished the last trial, and we had a relative peace until COVID came. 2020, March, I received a letter from the mayor and from the city Counselors telling me I have to shut down the church. I have to stop feeding the poor because we are in the middle of the greatest pandemic and We have to stop. I disagreed. I appealed it to the minister I appealed it to the premier premier is like your governor and they didn't care They said you have to shut it down or else and I took or else 12 officers 12 officers showed up and I became again the first pastor, the first clergyman to get a COVID ticket this time. $1,200, 12 officers. I was threatened with arrest. My parishioner was assaulted during that time by the police officer. And I was threatened with millions of dollars worth of tickets. So far, I got 30 of them, 30 COVID tickets. I got three court orders, two court injunctions, two contempt of court, and I'm facing four years of prison as we speak, and more charges, I was told, are coming when I come back to Canada. December, I think, was a culmination of what happened. The government, Canadian government, federal, provincial, and municipal, declared that there are shutting down Christmas. I don't know if they've done the same thing to you, but they've told us you cannot see your parents, you cannot have Christmas dinners, you cannot have your brother for coffee. We will send the police and they will be monitoring the houses if there is not more cars uh, in your driveway. And they give themselves a raise while they shut down our businesses and they give us a few hundred dollars to live on every single month. They gave themselves a raise and they took off, you know where? Florida. They took off to Hawaii, they took off to Barbados, Europe, our top wonderful lying, cheating devils, the politicians, the uncircumcised Philistines. They took off vacationing. Can you believe it? And they shut us down and they said, we are in this together. I said, no, you devils, we're not in this together. We are in this together. You are the wicked ones and you will be judged by God. So I went on television and I said, I'm canceling you. You're not canceling Christmas, I'm canceling you, and I deem you unessential services. We actually are better off without you politicians. You are evil, you're wicked, and you're useless. 
you're not capable of doing good anymore. You're traitors, and if I had the power, I would charge all of you for treason. And I invited people to come to the biggest Christmas celebration in the country. I paid dearly for that. Thousands of people showed up. We had Christmas carolers, we had AAA steak, we had caterers, we had um, all kinds of musicians, you know, carolers. It was a good time. We also had over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, about 20 cops on bicycles, and they were videotaping us and taking pictures, and I end up with 11 more COVID tickets for that <laughs> horrible crime of daring to call the government useless, unessential services. So, that's three church, that's in outdoor. We were intimidated, harassed for all that year, but they did not show up in our church building. They left us be for that location until one day they didn't. They blocked, the first thing, they blocked our driveway, preventing people to come to the church parking lot. It took me about an hour to fend off those hyenas. Then they showed up about two, three weeks later, and this time they were outside of the property with the telescopic cameras. And this time they were not attacking us men. They were taking pictures of women and children. And you know, people are wondering why I call those nice officers Gestapo and Nazi and psychopaths and everything. Because you see, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain and those were the exact tactics of the communists, the KGB. If they could not get to the men, they would intimidate that man, harass that man by showing him pictures of his wife, children, and here's how the story went. We may not do anything to you, but you know what? You know what we can do to your wife? You know how many of officers can rape your wife? You know what we can do to your daughter or to your boy? So behave or else. And that's exactly what is happening in Canada right now. The level of corruption is unbelievable. It's a repetition of history. And they started to do that. I mean, I was upset. So we fend off those devils. And then they came back during this famous video uh, that I was told was watched over a billion times. It was the number one video during that Easter weekend on earth. I mean, can you believe it? A Polish immigrant yelling Gestapo Nazi. I mean, <laughs> if I only you knew, maybe I'll just make my hair a little bit better and put some makeup on. I don't know. Uh, but I, of course, at that time, I didn't know. I have been fending those devils for such a long time. For me, it was just another day in paradise. So they showed up. I was shocked because you see why I was shocked? Because they have broken four criminal laws. You see, they came in the name of the law, making sure that I'm preaching muzzled like a dog, which is a $50, at that time was a $50 penalty. So they came storming into a place of worship to make sure I did not break a, a stupid bylaw. But they have broken four criminal laws. For example, section 176 of Criminal Code of Canada says you're not allowed to interfere with the clergyman while he is officiating his services. You're not allowed to intimidate, harass, or disrupt a church service. That's against the law. Two years jail time. But they did it. They don't care. You see, again, what I said to you about your rights, about your freedoms, about your constitution, those people don't care about your piece of paper. You have to fight for it. You have to stand up for your rights. If you don't, they will keep taking more and more and more. So when I saw them, I was absolutely shocked. 
I could not believe it that they, in the name of the law, in their uniforms, they would actually openly break the law. So the only thing I had on my heart that was Passover celebration. So I had, of course, prepared the message of Moses and Aaron. Let my people go so they can go and worship me in the wilderness. Let my people go. So that was deep in my heart. So when I saw them, I told them, get out. And they would not move. So I ran to the pulpit. I had my telephone at, at my pulpit. And I started to record. And that's what you saw. It was a spontaneous thing. I was very polite at first. I said, please get out. But they would not move. So everything intensified to a point that I ran out of insults. I could call them whitewashed tombs, but they're not believers. I could call them foxes, but they're not presidents. And, you know, Jesus was calling people names because they were corrupted to the core. And what we're seeing right now, those politicians are corrupted. I was in your Washington, D.C. And I will tell you something. Because God speaks to me when I walk on the ground. When I put my feet, sometimes he gives me revelations. That's a very evil place. Very evil place. It's filled with demons. And when I look at the White House, immediately I said, this is not the White House anymore. It's a black house. And you have been invaded. You know, there's so much talk about aliens and illegals. You've got them in a black house. Aliens and illegals have taken over this place. And you have to stand up and fight for it. You've got to rise up and be the light in this great darkness. After the invasion of our church, I've told them to get out and don't come back without a warrant. So they went to a crooked judge. And listen to this name. The judge's name is David Gates. Oh, irony, right? I don't know if they're related to the devil, Bill Gates. However, David Gates, have, you know, is as bad as his brother-in-law, maybe. I don't know. But this is what he has given to them. He has given them the power to enter the church anytime they want, any day of the week, with whomever they want. And they can do whatever they want. And they can arrest me anywhere Anywhere they wish with a use of any force they deem necessary. In my sleep, in my house, in my office, in the church, in a restaurant, it doesn't matter where. He has given them power, a carte blanche, to do whatever they want. So they did. They showed up with a SWAT team. Anti-terrorists showed up to our church and they demanded us to let them in. I fend off those hyenas. They came back a few weeks later. They dropped something on the ground. And I thought, they, some people in the back were yelling to me, saying Gestapo is here. And I said, okay, I guess I'm going to be arrested. Let them arrest me at the pulpit. Be a good Nazi then. Do it the Nazi style. But they dropped something on the ground and they left. Later on, I find out it was a court order that was never given to me. was never read to me. was never presented to me. But because of that thing that they dropped on the ground, just a few hours later, I was arrested in the middle of the highway and I was charged with inciting people to come to church and officiating a church service. Four years jail time. My brother David was arrested with me. We were tortured in prison. Three days we were forced to be on a concrete. We were not allowed to sleep for three days and two nights. They put shackles on our feet. They stripped naked us. They mocked us. They threatened me. They 
pushed me on a wall, shoved me, threatened more, and they were trying to force us to wear a muzzle. And I said, I'm not a dog. I'm not wearing one. You have to. I said, no. You have to. No. You have to. No. So they went to my brother and they said the same thing. You have to. And my brother said, no. <laughs> so thank God he said that because then they locked us in the same jail room. Before that, we were in solitary confinement, but after we refused to wear a mask, they put us in one cell. So that's the way to go. If you are arrested with your brother, don't wear a muzzle, then they will put you together. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's beneficial because then you can play games together, you can pray together, you know. Um, that, I think that was the biggest tragedy that I faced. I made the little balls, you know, thank God for toilet paper, because you can make little balls and play soccer. Because there is nothing to do over there. I asked for the Bible, they refused. So I walked around and I prayed. But then, you know, time goes very, very slow when there is absolutely nothing. So I made those little balls and we started playing soccer, you know, Polish, old Polish way. And um, my brother was winning, unfortunately, for me. But those jailers, they watched us and they hated it. You see, how dare you have a good time in prison? So they went. And they confiscated my little balls. Can you imagine? <laughs> Those devils, thieves, I told them. You're thieves. You're not allowed to confiscate my private property. So they shoved me on the wall. And he said, oh, we're going to have a problem with you. I said, no, I have a problem with you. <laughs> so they can't figure it out. I mean, why are you not scared? You see, because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of love and sound mind. Later on, we were taken to the judge. The judge ordered our release. Then he sentenced us and he found us guilty on all charges. And I'm facing years of jail time. And uh, I've heard that there are more charges pending. So that's a little bit of a summary. But I'm here for a greater purpose. I want to tell you why I do what I do. I want to tell you why am I so crazy about Jesus Christ. You see, I was a very successful businessman. And I don't have much time to tell you, so I'll, I'll skip some stuff. But I was not a good man. I was a drunkard. I was wearing good clothes. I was driving sport cars. And if you would look at me, you would never know I have problems. You know, I would smile. I would play the game. I would put the mask on, a muzzle on. And I would pretend everything is good. But you see, I was losing control. In 1999, I was such a drunkard that I put the bottle in front of me and I watched it for three days. And my wife, on the second day, she says, should I call a doctor? Because this is scaring me. And this is what I said to her. I don't understand what happened to me. A man like me became a slave. I'm a slave to a little bottle. I can't believe it. I can't believe how that happened. I was supposed to conquer the world. I was supposed to do great things and I'm a slave. And I can't help it. I'm a slave to a bottle. You see, you can be slave to whatever. You can be slave to money. You can be slave to titles. You can be slave to your job. You can be slave to your wife or your children. You see, whatever is more important to you than God, you're a slave to it. And I was a slave to business. I was a slave to alcohol. And I treated my wife very, very badly. But you see, when I met her in early 90s, she was a believer, she was a Christian, and she fought for me for seven years. For seven years, she endured hardship, hell on earth, but she never gave up. I want to tell you, women, 
Ladies, in the Bible, it says that the prayer of a woman was never unanswered by God. You know that? You got power. You got to use that power. Keep praying for your husbands. Keep praying for your fathers, for your sons, for your daughters. Keep praying because there is a power of a mother that can pray a storm in the kingdom of God. And she prayed and she paid a terrible price. But she won me to Christ. So right now she has no excuse. When, I, when we go through hardship, I said, you ask for it. <laughs> you know, uh, we are always we're good at playing Adam's game, right? It was her. <laughs> you gave me Eve. She did it. And Eve like, was the devil. And the devil couldn't blame anyone. So he, he, he didn't have anybody else to turn to. You see, but that's the truth. She won me to Christ. I do what I do because someone was willing to fight for me. And I remember one time she told me, of course, after she said that she was ready to quit. I wanted to divorce her. I was doing everything in my power to make her divorce me. I remember one day I came to the house and I spat at her face. And she wiped her face out. And she said, you can spit at me. As much as you want. But I will always say it's just raining. How you deal with a love like this. How you deal with a person that fights for you in such a way. I didn't know what to do. I was broken. And she fought for years. Seven years she fought for me. So finally in 1999. We made peace with God. And I said to him. I'll never touch alcohol in my life. I will work with the homeless. I will work with the drug addicts and alcoholics. And that's what I do to this day. And we do not drink. And I have absolutely no problem with alcohol. Like some people do drink. I, you know, as long as you don't, you don't become drunk, I don't have a problem. A beer or a wine, you know, total healing. God healed us completely. And in 1999, she became pregnant and a prophet came and said that I'm going to give you a perfect gift. And we knew with my wife that he's talking about the baby that is in her belly. I was a businessman at the time. I was very successful. I had up to 100 employees and I was building houses for the richest people. My life was good. I was making $5,000 a day. I was buying houses. I was buying properties. And that was just the beginning of my career. And then another prophet comes in. And this is what he says. I mean, be careful with those prophets. The moment the finger comes out, you either repent or run before he opens his mouth. Here's what he said. He pointed at me and I was always hiding somewhere behind. I didn't want to be seen. And he says, you, because you're doing this and this and this and this, because you are this and this and this, I'm going to take everything away from you. You will lose everything. And I kind of smile at the guy. What a crazy guy. I was just signing contract for millions of dollars to build apartment building. He says, who can stop me? I had 50 job sites. It was just the beginning. So I laughed at the guy. Three months later, I was bankrupt. You see, when God gets a hold of you, when he wants something, there is no escaping. That's why you got to remember that our enemies are in the palm of God's hands. They only live because God allows them to be alive. You have to have the right perspective. In the end of the day, we know how the story ends. We know we win in the end because Jesus won on that cross. We have to have the right perspective. We cannot lose. It's impossible for a child of God to lose. If you die, you're in a glory. If you live, you are in a glory with Jesus. 
If pastors would understand that, if Christians would understand that, there would be no fear in the house. We would go like a wildfire and conquer this earth, just like Joshua did during that time. Be strong and courageous. 2000. We knew God is talking about our child. We didn't know if it's a boy or a girl. We could not name that child. March 28, 2000. March 28 is my birthday as well. A child is being born, but before he comes out, she's having pain. And ladies, you will, you will appreciate that. She is having uh, birth pains very very closely together intensifying and I say to her I'm sitting over there I was writing a book at the time about slavery by the way that's why I know so much about slavery and I said stop you cannot have that baby yet and she's like are you crazy <laughs> she was very very unhappy put it this way I said you cannot this baby cannot come out that's it until we name that baby it's not right for the baby to come out without a name. And I had this revelation that God wants to name the baby. So I took a piece of paper and I give it to her between the pain, you know, and, 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 and a pen. I said, you got to write down all the names that God is giving it to you. Oh, she didn't like me. She really didn't like me at that moment. But I'm very, you know, stubborn. So I made her write the names and I said I'll do the same thing and the name that is repeating itself that's the name God is choosing for that baby before the baby comes out and the only name that was on her paper and mine was the name of a boy called Nathaniel we didn't know if it's a boy or a girl but the only name that was on both papers was Nathaniel if you know your Hebrew Nathaniel means gift from God he was born the same day I was born he was told by the prophet that I'm going to give you a perfect gift and he's born the same day named gift from God but he was born dead he was not breathing he came out purple and I'll never forget her eyes you see a mother expects a child expects the child to come out and the first thing subconsciously she's waiting for is the cry of the baby the cry never came and I look at her eyes and she knew there's something wrong. There's something not right. And I look at this baby, this little tiny baby, purple, not moving, not breathing. And then suddenly this commotion of doctors and nurses coming. And I didn't know what's going on. And I look at her eyes and she knew. She knew what's going on. Big scared eyes of a mother that she knew there's something, something really wrong. The first miracle that happened was that they brought him back to life. It turned out that he was born with a hole in a, in a muscle here. And through that hernia, through that hole, all the bowels and stomach went up and messed up his upper chest completely. And moved the heart on the opposite side and destroyed his lung. So they said to me, she was uh, left in a hospital at the maternity. They Transferred him after five hours to Children's Hospital. I went over there as well. Three doctors came to me and they said, he's not going to make it. He's not going to live. You have to consider unplugging him. Even if he survives by some kind of a miracle, he will be a vegetable for the rest of his life. But we said no. We said no. I went into a rebellion stage at the time. You got to remember, he just took my money away. 
He destroyed my company. I was facing enormous difficulties. I could not even pay for a parking. I've lost my cars. I had to borrow a car from my father and borrow money for bread, literally, and to pay for the parking. I was a broken man, and I went into a full-blown rebellion. I'll never forget, I went downstairs into the parking lot, and I started to kick the car like I was killing it. And someone was there and saw me and started to run for his life. Because he thought I'm a madman. And I was yelling and screaming, what do you want from me? I don't know if you feel sometimes like that. But I felt, why me? What have I done so terrible? I mean, I'm not, I was not a perfect man. But I was in comparison to Adolf Hitler, I was a very good man. Why me? Why is this happening to me? You might have those questions. Remember, God knows. In the end of the day, your answers will, your questions will be answered. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but when you see him face to face, you will know why. We go through difficulties for a purpose, and I'm telling you, great is your reward, the Bible says. Great. When my God says great is your reward, that means great is your reward. When he says narrow is the gate, that means narrow. I went into rebellion, I yelled, I fought. And then I calm down. You know, when you fight with God, you're always, you're always going to lose. <laughs> I remember those moments in the hospital. My son was in intensive care. They could not put any more needles into his body. Every vein on that little boy was taken. He had needles on his head, in his arms, in his legs. The machinery was breathing for him. He was on this huge thing that was doing every, everything for him. And here is how few days looked like. My wife would be there 24 hours, 7 days a week. She would lay hands on him. She would pray. She would put worship music. She would read the Bible. She would call everyone she knew. And those people, they would call everyone they knew. The pastors. And I call that the first pilgrimage. People from the church started to come and they would lay hands on this dying boy and they would prophesy and they would speak life. But me, I was in an open rebellion. I was calm, but I was still, still fighting in my spirit. What is going on? When I went to work, I came back, I showered, I ate and I went to replace her. And then she would go home to eat and change and take a shower. And, and I would stand over there in this room, this clean room in intensive care and I would stand over there every day the same spot and I would look at this little baby and all this machinery doing all of that stuff for him and I would see the needles everywhere and I would not say a word until one day I'm looking at this baby and I had an open vision I didn't ask for the vision at that time I didn't believe in visions I always said that if you have some visions, you, you, you're, a little bit, you know, you're a little bit different. I said, you must be crazy. Stop drinking whatever you're drinking. It's not healthy for you. But it happened to me. I looked at this baby and suddenly I was taken to a different place. I saw Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. I saw him sweating with blood. I saw him terrified. He was afraid for what is going to happen to him. The separation between the father and the son. They have never been separated. And the things that will be placed on him were unbearable. And he says that if it's possible for this to go away. If there is any other way. You see sometimes there is no other way. You have to go through difficulties. You have to pay the price. 
Sometimes there is no other way. Someone has to lead the way. Pastor, someone has to pay the price. Someone has to stand up and be willing to even die if needs be. Or go to prison if needs be. Or to get a ticket. Or whatever it is. To lead the way. You see, Jesus led the way. And that's why afterward, because he won on that cross, he says to you and me, pick up your cross and follow me. Because he led the way. He broke into the promised land for you and for me. I saw the mob coming to arrest him. I'm telling you, some of the movies, they show a few dozen people here and there. There was over a thousand people that I saw, all kinds of people, dressed differently, with swords, with clubs. I saw priests, I saw Roman soldiers. And then when they ask about Jesus, he says, I am. When he said, I am, the power, unbelievable power, struck them in the back and they have fallen to the ground. And when they wanted to stand up, I saw them all on their knees. You see, the Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It's just a matter of when. Those people in the black house or different other places, I'm telling you, one day they will bow. I say to them, bow now. Live, don't die, because hell is a real place. Every knee will bow. Those people that came to arrest Jesus Christ, they had to bow and they did not even realize they beaten him. They tortured him. I saw the most horrible beating you can imagine. Blood was splashing left and right. I saw this young man, young, about 30 years old with a beard, black beard. He was a, a Jewish rabbi. He runs towards Jesus, grabs him with a full force. Jesus had a longer beard. Not very long, but it was longer. He grabs him and the impact of, the, of his body and and, and the power behind it, it ripped a portion of his beard and the skin out of Jesus' face. And the blood splashed on my face. I couldn't bear it. I ran away. I literally ran away from the hospital. When I started to run away, the vision finished. And I went home. I was shaken. I didn't know that at that time. But later, my wife said to me that I could not speak for three days after the vision happened. I don't even remember that. I was in a, in a trauma. I was in a shock. The next day came. My wife went home. The same scenario. I stood in the same place. I looked at my boy and boom, the vision opened where it ended the previous day. I saw Jesus Christ being questioned. I saw him being taken to Pontius Pilate and they were discussing. They were talking. I saw the conversations of those people. And I'm telling you, Pontius Pilate, the governor, was very curious about Jesus Christ. He heard so much about him. And he wanted to have a conversation. I saw the beatings like you cannot imagine. Punches coming. Slaps. Spits. Insults. Mocking. And he did it for you and for me. I ran away from the hospital for the second time. I could not bear it. It was the most horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. The beatings were unbearable for me. All of this time, I did not feel the physical pain of Jesus Christ, but I felt the pain that is unbearable. A pain of a father that watches his son being tortured. If you are a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You see, if it's me or my son, I'm ready. Kill me. There is, I don't think we can comprehend the love of a father which is in heaven we don't understand the love we are not capable of that kind of a love but as a humans we understand the love for our children 
And it was my boy or my daughter in a heartbeat. Take me. Let them live. Can you imagine being a father or a mother and watching your daughter or your son being tortured? And you have the power to stop it. You can destroy the villains in a heartbeat. And you're choosing not to for a bigger purpose. That's what I saw. I saw God sitting on the throne, on the edge of his throne. Ready, ready. He was so tormented. He was in so much pain watching dust. Dust like you and me. Punching his son, God himself. Insulting, spitting at him. Torturing him, beating. And then later on, crucifying him on a piece of wood. It was unbearable pain. I ran away for the second time. And I calmed down outside of the hospital and I decided, okay, I have to come back. I did. I stood again in the same place and for the third time, the vision started where it left it. I saw the crucifixion. I want you to know that Jesus Christ was crucified naked. He was crucified naked for you and me. He didn't have anything. He bore our shame. He was tortured to a point that I could not recognize if he was a woman or a man. You could not see the face. You could not see anything. It was just blood. It was like a piece of meat hanging on a piece of wood. And then the darkness. Darkness came. I could not see a thing. You see, we do not even understand the darkness like that. I could not see a thing. There was no stars, there was no moon, nothing. It was total darkness. And then I saw earthquake. Earthquake that broke the globe in half. It was not just a local earthquake. The whole earth got broken at that more moment around. And then I saw something that is very, very unusual. I saw a bird. A little bird with his peak. And he was crying. A bird, a little bird was crying. And I saw the tear coming from his eyes. And then I saw a speck of grass. A grass was crying. You see, creation was crying because the creator of heavens and the earth has given his life for the creation. You see, we, we are the dumbest of them all. The birds, the trees, the sun, the moon, they all worship the creator. It's just a man that raises against him. Just a man that says, I don't need the creator, even though our father created us. And then it was over. It was over. And then he spoke to me. And I heard him like I hear you and you hear me. He said, what would you do to save your son? And I, being me, I answered without even thinking. I said, tell me to kill and I will kill I'll wipe out half of this hospital if it needs to be. So my son can live. But God said, but you cannot do anything. You cannot save your son. But I could save my son. And I didn't do it. You know why? For you. And for the rest of the people. I'm telling you, my heart was broken. For the first time in my life, you see, I was a Christian, right? I call those types of Christians ducks. Like quack, quack, quack. You walk a little bit here, a little bit here. A little bit the kingdom of God, a little bit the word. We want to have both ways. Friendship with the word and, and God's blessings for our lives and our businesses. But I saw two hearts. 
in his hands. In one hand, I saw his heart. I'm telling you, the God's heart is the most purest thing I've ever seen. It's like a crystal. You can see through, but it's living. It's moving. And then I saw a heart. That was my heart. It was like a tar, black, ugly, evil, <laughs> sinful. My heart was broken. My heart was broken. That day, our pastor organized a prayer meeting, a vigil for our son and for the situation. My wife says, let's go to the church. So I said, okay, let's go. And we went. And that was the first time that I actually prayed since this whole thing started. I lifted my hands and I said, God, I didn't even know what the pastor was saying. I don't know even what the congregation was doing. I lifted my hands in the back of the church by the door. And I said, God, I'm giving you my son, Nathaniel. The promised gift that you have given it to me. I'm giving him on an altar like Abraham, Isaac. And do with him as you please. And I'm telling you, I'm giving you my word. If you, whatever you decide to do, if he lives, I will be the most grateful man on earth. But if you decide to take him, I'm giving you my word that I will serve you for the rest of my life. And I started to cry like never before. You see, a man like me never cried. Black, black belt, martial art expert. I used to teach police how to fight. I was a boxer, nas nationally representing my country. A man like me never cry. We are fighters. We never show emotions. We don't show pain. We just go through it. You see, I always had a saying, if you show your emotions, when they smell blood, the sharks will eat you alive. The wolves will destroy you. You never show your emotions. And I started to cry like never before. I started to sob. And here is what I saw. Every tear was representing an evil that I have done. As tears were coming down, I was a smuggler before. I walked to the gun. I bribed the police officers. I bribed the politicians. I was a drunkard. I've done terrible things in my life. What I've done to my wife. The horrible things I have done. Everything was coming out. Every tear was representing an evil that I have done. And I was sobbing. I was crying. I don't know how long this whole thing was taking place. But I ran out of tears. I could not cry anymore. And I said again to God. God I'm giving you my word. That no matter what is your decision, either, either he lives or he dies, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And nothing happened. You know, sometimes you think that the earthquake will come or a fire will come from heaven or a voice. Nothing happened. We went home. I just didn't have any more tears. Next day I went to work in the same scenario. I went home, I showered, I ate, and I went to replace her. And then as I'm walking in the hallway, people start to point a finger at me and they say, that's the father of the star baby. That's the father of the star baby. And as I'm walking in the hallway, I was expecting to see an empty room, a baby gone, dead. But the people were pointing a finger at me saying, that's the father, look, look, that's the father of the star baby. I, star baby, I had no idea what they're talking about. I reached the intensive care and three doctors, someone contacted them already that the father is in the hospital. When I came there, they were all waiting for me. The same three doctors that said, unplug him, he's not going to live. They said, you got to come with us. Something happened this morning. So I went, they took me to an x-ray and they showed me about seven, eight pictures. And this is what they said, do you see the first one? 
And if you watch the movie Street Advocate, you will be able to see the x-rays yourself. That's the hole, that's the bowels, that's the mess, that's the heart. And I look at the second one. This morning, your son started to fight with the machinery. We could not understand what's going on. We thought that the, there was a malfunction of the machine. So we took the tube just for a split of a second. Because your son was fighting with the machinery. And behold, he is breathing on his own. And that's impossible. Because your son cannot breathe on his own. Because he doesn't have a lung. They opened him up. And they said, he cannot breathe. But he is breathing. He is, he is not supposed to be alive, but he is living. And we had a symposium of doctors. We called all the experts. We talked about your son for the whole day. And we came to one conclusion. It looks like your God has answered your prayers. This baby. This baby should not be alive, but is living. It's like a baby that came from the stars. We called your son a star baby. And that's why all those people, when they saw me, they said, that's the father of the star baby. But no one called me. No one told me what happened. My son is 21 years old. You've met my son. Perfectly healthy. He's starting to be a lawyer. I need an in-house lawyer. Yeah. Remember when he said, I will give you a perfect gift? You see, sometimes he speaks to us, but we don't see the full story. See, the greatest thing that could happen to me was them barging into the church. Because without that, without the arrest in the middle of the highway, I would not be here. I would not give glory to my God. I would not be able to share the story of a God that is God of the miracles. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchangeable God. And with him, it's impossible for you to lose. If I was not attacked, you see, if Joseph would not go through 13 years of slavery, jail, and false accusations, he would never be called the savior of the nations. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not be willing to go to the fire, they would never see Jesus in the fire. You want to see Jesus? You got to go through the fire. You want to see the lions obeying? You got to disobey the government that is evil and wicked. Daniel goes to the den of lions. But you see, lions couldn't touch him because they can't touch a lion. That's why I do not bow before the hyenas. Because lions do not bow before the hyenas. You see, we eat the hyenas for breakfast. That's why, that's why I am in trouble. I've decided to share that story with as many people as possible because I'm begging you. I need your help. Or I will get bigger and bigger and bigger. I can't just keep eating those creatures every single day all the time. You got to come and help me. You see, the Bible says, again, one can do a thousand, but two can do ten thousand. Together we are unbeatable. Amen. Greater is he that is in us than the one that is in them. So my son is perfectly healthy. He's starting to become a lawyer. And God fulfilled his promise because he's not like you and me. You see, for him it's impossible to lie. He said it. 
I'll give you a perfect gift. He names him gift from God and he's born the same day I was born. He just didn't tell me I'll have to wait a little bit longer to see the fulfillment of his promises. If you don't see them yet, wait. Don't fight him. Don't rebel against him. Just pray and wait patiently. Because the Bible says that without faith you cannot please God. And he says in his word that when I will come back and I'm telling you Jesus is coming back. To judge the living and the dead. He says when I come back will I find faith. Faith. He's looking for his church filled with faith. So how long do I have pastor? That's it. That's horrible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We know that when there are this many people in person are watching online that there is a chance that some have not started a relationship with Christ. If that's you and you would like a relationship with Jesus that washes away the stain of sin, you will need to start by repenting of your sin, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and asking him to be the Lord over your life. That means giving up control. If you have never prayed this or you have fallen away and want to return to the kingdom of life, repeat this prayer after me and mean it. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins and I now turn from them and I give you my life from this day on in Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you said that prayer, you are saved. Thank you for listening to Foundation Church's weekly message. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered. If you would like to partner with us, please visit foundationchurchfl.com and click on Give.